0: It's an instant reaction podcast here. Trent Condon with you on the Lockdown Hawkeyes podcast. After Iowa escaped South Dakota State 7-3, where was the offense? How bad is it? How concerned would we be? Oh, how concerned should we be? All coming up today on the Lockdown Hawkeyes podcast. Instant reaction after an Iowa victory. Our Locked On Hawkeyes, your daily podcast on the Iowa Hawkeyes. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Well, what was that? Welcome back to the Locked On Hawkeyes podcast. Iowa gets the victory 7-3. No, that's not a first-quarter score. That's not a halftime score. That is the final. As Iowa gets it done over South Dakota State, 7-3 the final. Boy, there are so many different directions to go here. Obviously, a whole lot of frustrations after what we saw out of the offense, 166 yards of total offense. But we're going to get into it here. We're going to break things down, talk about it, and uh, see if we can come up with some conclusions. And and, here's the frustrating part, you know, waking up this morning morning the excitement level of the Iowa game something that you've been waiting for going back to last January when the season came to a close the disappointing end to things in that Citrus Bowl loss and I had a great chance of obviously winning that football game against Kentucky and of course the way it went in the Big Ten championship game how things could have been different a better showing in that matchup you have the offseason you have the spring you have optimism and it leads into the season and I think you guys that have been listening for me for a while, you understand, as a fan, I'm not the most optimistic fan out there. I've been beat down with a lot of losses throughout my life, and maybe that's the way that I am as a fan. In my real life, I'm a very optimistic guy. I'm a very positive guy. As a fan, not as much. And the one thing I wanted to do after I took over this feed uh, during the middle of the summer is I knew I was still going to be myself. I was still going to talk in the way that I do. I'm still going to have the radio background where I have to take off the fan hat for a time or two and i do have to look at things more objectively in my role as a radio host and here is a a podcast host and a locked on hawkeyes we're talking hawkeyes all the time and i can be a little bit more of that fan still bring the objective eye, still be who i am as a fan and as a person but be able to do it more on the fan angle and because of that i didn't want to go all in about Spencer Petras, and that's what it comes back to here, and we're going to be talking about it a lot. Like, this is beating a dead horse. This has been a conversation piece for really three years. Going back to even the 2020 season, he was maybe one throw away and a broken tackle from Tyler Goodson on a swing pass from losing his job at that point and having Alex Padilla came in as he was awful in the half of that game, came back, and, and from there, he played some good football. Last season, there were bright moments, but still, The rough moments remain, and this is the same guy. As I tweeted during the game, and you can follow me at Trent Condon on Twitter, it's the same guy that we saw last season. It's the same guy that we saw in 2020. He's a mannequin. He can't move. There's no physical ability for him to, he lost seven pounds. That was one of these stupid tripes that was thrown out there. And this is where I get frustrated, and this is where I do get upset, is because we're sold, sold these bill of goods that it is going to be different. This was the same offense. I understand the limitations. This is not all on Spencer Peters. It's not all on Brian Ferentz. It's not all on Kirk. Everybody has a say in this. But the offensive line was terrible. The quarterback play was brutal. You don't have weapons. And you don't have weapons. Think of this, though. Yes, you were down because of injuries. But you only have... On your roster, six wide receivers on scholarship, six scholarship wa- wide receivers. That is not program building. That is not building for sustainability. That is not building to win at the highest level. You don't only really have six wide receivers, even on scholarship, if you're wanting to do that. So that's where frustration lies. It's all over the place. You can point all over the place to the offensive ineptitude, and everybody has a say, from the wide receivers, to the running backs, to the injuries, to the coordinators, to the coaches, everybody. Has something. And we're going to get to probably all of them here today. But the simplest part of this equation is I knew coming into this year, there was very little hope for things to be different because Spencer Petras was the quarterback, and we know his limitations. I'm sure he looks great in practice. I'm sure he does. I'm sure he looks great. You know why? Because he's got a red jersey on, nobody can hit him, and he can just sling it around. And if pressure's coming in his face, it doesn't matter because he ultimately can't be hit. It doesn't matter what level of sport you played. I don't care if the highest you got was Little League. You played P-Way football, and it doesn't matter the sport. From basketball to football to baseball, tennis, golf. We all know this guy, right? That's great in practice. Absolutely lights out. He is a great practice player. But when it comes to a game, he stinks. That's Spencer Petras. He's not good in games. We have now three years of data to show us he's not good enough. He's not good enough to elevate this team. And now we're looking at another year with a bad offensive line. And that's what this is, a bad offensive line once again this season. We can get to George Barnett, second-year offensive line coach, and there's plenty to be put on him also. But we're looking at another bad offensive line. And when you have a mannequin, when you have a guy that cannot move in the pocket, I'm not talking about tucking it and running for 20 yards. Heck, he had a third down and four play, gets outside the pocket, and he slides two yards short on the first down as he was going to be hit instead of putting his head down and trying to get that first down that would have salted away the game. That's not what he is. This is a guy that even with his physical limitations doesn't even know how to move inside the pocket. Tom Brady's not fleet of foot, and I'm not equating the two guys, but he knows how to move in the pocket. You have to have that. Spencer Petras has never had that, and it's not something that you can coach. He was bad. And the Boo Birds, they were plentiful in Kinnick Stadium. There was a lot of frustration. There was frustration all over the place. And it's something that I would pondered and talked about here on the Lockdown Hot Podcast a lot this summer. Is if it goes bad like it did today offensively, how quickly would the Boo Birds be out? It was very quick. I'm not alone. You're not alone if you share these same frustrations. It is a lot of similar things that we're seeing with this one. It is incredibly frustrating to watch this offense with their ineptitude and all the problems that they have and know that there's no hope of change. If there was ever a spot to make a change, there were plenty of opportunities in this one. And what did we see? Alex Padilla, who is not great in his own right. We saw Alex Padilla last year. There are things he does better, obviously moving, that's one of them. He can move around a little bit. He can make some plays with his legs. And he has a, a different air of confidence. That's another part you don't get with Petrus. He acts like he has confidence, but it's an act. You think that guy really is locked in and has the confidence that he's going to take? It's, it's slump in the shoulders, sad. Oh, boy, here we go again. The stupid clap thing. it, All that stuff. I know he's a nice kid. I get it. Great kid. Not a good quarterback. And now we're on our third year of evidence. Now, ultimately there's guys that put him in the place and it comes to the two guys, the new quarterback coach, along with the offensive coordinator and Brian Ferentz and the head man, his dad, Kirk Ferentz. They're the ones that made this decision. These are the two guys that saw what they were and their limitations a year ago, offensively as great as that defense was. And they get the West division title. And that was great, but still knew when you play a team like Michigan, you're going to need more and yet they went into the offseason and they made the decision that we're good at the quarterback spot, that we got our guy. As you look across college football and you look at all these quarterbacks that are moving on different places and taking an opportunity to try to win a job, and there were plenty out there, and I would not sniff around. They said we're good. That's coaching malpractice. That is bad in its own right. To do that, to go out there, see what you saw a year ago, at the quarterback spot, and to not do anything about it. That comes back to the coaches. The blame continues to go around. Here's another thing that really does frustrate me about Brian Ferentz. As we saw these pieces this summer, as he sat down for hours and hours, which had lights of the Des Moines Register, and Scott Dockerman of the Athletic, beat writers, guys that know their football, guys that know the University of Iowa, and some of yeah, maybe the limitations that they have in building an offense in the 21st century. It's not that they're making excuses, but we got these conversations and we went deeper. And this, this air of arrogance from Brian France. Remember last year after the Michigan game, Michigan, Ohio state at the end of the season. And there was a little shade thrown the way of Brian day by Brian, uh, by by Harbaugh. As he said that day, eh, is a guy that was born on third base and thought he hit a triple. Well, that's Brian France, right? Born on third base, thought he hit a triple. Is there any way a guy with his resume gets the job that he did with the New England Patriots? Of course not. It's his name. It's his dad's connections that led to that. Anybody with the resume that was a tight end coach for a couple of years gets the job that he did at the University of Iowa. Then becomes, with some of the problems they had with the offensive line, after being an offensive line coach, the offensive coordinator. Of course not. And here we are. And after... What we saw now over the last five years, most anybody would have been fired. They wouldn't have been brought back. This is what nepotism looks like. What initially happened when he was hired on the staff, I didn't think it would get to this point. Now, I was never a proponent of him getting the job, and I know a lot of people went that way, but this is what you get. And here's the most concerning part about it. It looks like more of the same garbage this year. And though Brian Ferentz thinks he's smarter than all of us, You don't see a whole lot. Yes, he's got issues. Who recruits these guys? Who brings them in? And who puts the scheme together? It comes back to him. Yes, I was not going to be running the oop-de-oop. They're not going to go air raid and have five wide receivers with Kirk Ferentz as the coach. But look at this offense over the last five years. And look at the offense that Ken O'Keefe had early in his career. And I'm sure all of us got frustrated with Ken O'Keefe at times. I get that. But it is completely different. And now we continue to trot out these quarterbacks that can't move, that are statues in the pocket. Nate Stanley had a strong arm. Spencer Petras has a strong arm. But look around college football. I just got done watching the North Carolina Appalachian State game. Get guys that can move. And this is what they continue to come back to. I don't get it. Again, coaching malpractice, it continues. I love Kirk Ferentz. I do. What he's done with this program, what he has been And he is not just a great coach, but he is a great person. But he's got a blind spot, as most of us do with your kid. That's why you don't work with your kid. That's why a lot of people will not work with their kid. That's the reason things went south of Florida State with the Bowdens. It is a scary spot to be because we all know, because of the kind of person that Kirk Ferentz is, he's never going to fire his son. Gary Barta, is he going to step in? And fire the offensive coordinator. We know that's not going to happen. This is Kirk Ferentz's program. And Gary Barta is not going to do anything like that. So it comes down to one person. And he thinks he's smarter than the rest of us. And his arrogance certainly shows that in Brian Ferentz. If this continues to be as bad as it's been this year. If it continues to be as bad as it's been for the last five years. But not only that, Iowa doesn't win those close games. And they lose. The first time in seven years to an Iowa State, or Nebraska, or a Minnesota, and again they can't do anything against Wisconsin, and again they get run out of the gym by Purdue, and you beat a lose to a Michigan and Ohio State, and suddenly this team seven and five. O'Brien, you think you're smarter than all of us? Are you smart enough to resign? Because that's the only way I was going to be able to rid themselves, O'Brien, Fairness of Kirk stays on. That's where we are. That's where we are. 7-3, the final. Two safeties, a short field field goal, all that. <laughs> That's the final. Absolutely incredible. Let's get into some final numbers here. Locked on Hawkeyes podcast. I'm Trent Cotton with you. As you can tell, a very frustrated uh, afternoon. See, we got some comments uh, rolling in too. Let's get into uh, a few of those comments. Thanks for joining me here. And uh, some of the YouTube comments. Uh, how do I get notifications for the Iowa footage? Not sure on that one. Sorry about that. Esther, how does Spencer Petrus get any snaps next week of practice? I, it's a great question. There must be something about Alex Padilla that they absolutely hate. I know you look at the numbers last year. He was around 50% completion percentage. Remember a big part of that was that Minnesota game when he had like eight drops, out of his wide receivers, I I don't see it much different, and at least he can move. I certainly, well, I've been a Padilla guy more than Petrus for the last couple of years. Very ugly from Roger, there's no doubt about it. And and Roger says this, Petrus just doesn't have it. He went to the Manning camp, yeah, he went to the Manning camp, and again, we saw that clip at the Manning camp. It was beautiful, right? at, At the Manning camp, he goes out there, he chucks the ball, an absolute rocket, 70 yards, just a beauty, dropped it in the bucket. Yeah. Shoulder pads on. Was he wearing a helmet? <laughs> no, of course not. Of course not. That's what you get out of him. Good stuff there. Uh, quarterbacks have regressed horribly. You know, that's a good one from uh, was that NC games, you know, quarterback development throughout the years. This is one thing that has been something that I've hit on a whole bunch. And that is not that I will quarterbacks have not progressed, but there are certain areas that they all struggle with. And one of them to something I talked about with Petrus, and that is what you have with pocket presence. They, they. I, I don't know if it's an eight. Look, I played quarterback in middle school. Like uh, I, different level. I get it, right? We, we, I was not a college quarterback, and there was no way I would ever be a college quarterback. I didn't have the talent to do it. But I know, even in my limited. 15 throws in my career in a run-based offense, I understood that there is something about that presence and being able to feel pressure. And it's not just a Petras thing. I mean, this goes back. C.J. Beathard, one of the better quarterbacks, certainly of the last 15 years, and maybe of the Kirk Ferentz era. C.J. Beathard, he also had terrible pocket presence. How many times was he hit from behind? Now that also goes back to the offensive line and a different one. But quarterback progression... It is not looking good. A couple other comments here. You can hit us up on YouTube as we come to you live here today. I would coach bad at coaching. Oh, Esther kind of feels that way. Thank God for the defense. Hey, DXD. Absolutely. Hey, as negative as these first 15 minutes are, thank you for bringing us back to this defense because that is a sight to behold. This is a South Dakota state team. In fact, I thought if South Dakota state was going to win it. It was going to be because of their offense, or at least keep it in a tight fashion. that, they were going to be able to get out in space, make some plays. But this defense, and even with some new faces out there, that defensive line is incredibly stacked. Really, I can think of one play from John Wagner on that run that went for like 12 yards that he kind of struggled with. Outside of that, that defensive line, they were all over the place. The depth of it, the number of guys getting the quarterback. Of course, he had the Jack Campbell. Him making the, uh, the first safety on the play from the one-yard line after a great Torrey Taylor punt, and then the second one. With the Joey the Bull coming in, Joe Evans and getting the sack on the backside of things. That defense, you're right, absolutely great. We got to give them credit. Thank God for the defense and DXD. Thank God for special teams and, and most importantly, for Torrey Taylor pitting the team deep, time in and time out. Yeah, there were a couple that ultimately went to the end zone, but hey, I'll tell you that one. That defense, those special teams, they're going to keep high with a lot of games, and that's the other thing. And we're going to come back to this, right? Hey, got another win. In fact, Patty says just that at least Petrus doesn't lose games for us. Right. I I get you, Patty. I'm right there with you. Yeah, maybe he doesn't lose games for you, but he doesn't win any either. And in fact, he's lost plenty of games on top of it. I mean, go back. Go back and look at some of those losses. And where do you put the finger at? Frustrations. And Iowa State's on deck. uh, DXD also with another good one, Arlen Bruce. He was the only guy. So Iowa... With two healthy scholarship wide receivers, there were just a couple of snaps out there uh, for Brody Breck. But overall, it was Arlen Bruce and the walk-ons, and really a walk-on. It was a lot of Alkwick, saw a lot of him out there. He had an opportunity to make a play. Bad pass by Petrus. He almost hauled it in. That would have uh, sealed the game a little bit earlier. It's Arlen Bruce. Get him in space. Get him the ball. Find a lot of different things. And I don't know if this is an offensive line problem. I don't know if it was an offensive, the way that they're putting this offense together. And this comes back to Brian Ferentz again, but even some of those screenplays, I mean, they're blown up. I guess you got to get your offensive linemen out there. They got to be able to go out and make some plays. So I guess that's probably the part that you're looking at. But boy, oh boy, the frustrations, it just continues and really leads to a whole lot of a frustration out there, playing around a little bit here uh, with our with our chats coming in and I think now when you uh, when you chat, we will be able to to see those. so we'll get those uh, set up for you here in just a moment and uh, get a little bit better look at your comments as they come in on the chat, and you can hit us up here on YouTube. Hey, while you're on YouTube right now, also, if you haven't, hit that subscribe button, Locked on Hawkeyes. We're trying to get to 1,000 subscribers by the time we get to the Michigan game. Hopefully, at that point, it'll be a 4-0 and Hawkeye team, but, oh, boy. Let's take a look at some of those numbers. 166 yards of total offense, as mentioned. Spencer Petras, he finishes 11-25, 109 yards, 44% completion percentage, and that hideous pick. Oh, boy, that one was an ugly one as well. In the run game, you had LaShawn Williams, Gavin Williams, dealing with uh, an injury again. This time it sounds like an ankle. He had a hamstring injury that we reported first here on Lockdown Hawkeyes uh, going back to uh, August camp uh, here a couple weeks back that he was sitting out, came back to practice, and then uh, hurt an ankle. So he was out. We saw him, and we also saw the true freshman out there in the running game uh, in Caleb Johnson, who got three carries, finished with no yards, though, uh, on those three carries. For Williams, 24 carries, 72 yards. There was just not a whole lot of room. His longest run was 10 yards, so I think that certainly shows you uh, just how difficult it was to get anything going and how far this offensive line still has to go if they're going to get uh, at a higher level, and that's the hope they're going to be able to go. A lot of young guys getting their first really extended snaps out there. They're playing with combinations, saw Jennings Dunker go in there. DeYoung playing at the guard position, that's where he started. That was a little bit of a surprise, so there's a lot also going on there and uh, definitely something to keep an eye on going forward as they try to find those right connections, right? Get those right guys out there and and see what's the combination that's going to be best. They have a long, long ways to go, though, along that offensive line. A uh, little more from the Iowa offense. Arlen Bruce, five catches, 68 yards. Also had that jet sweep for 11 yards and a first down. It was really the only uh, player that you could count on to do much, uh, much. LaShawn Williams in the passing game, he had two catches. Laporta, just two catches for nine yards. He was open a bunch, and he was missed a bunch. We also saw that uh, coming out. Potty Bomb had a catch, and Luke Lachey, he caught one in a tight, tight window. That's just another one of those throws that leave you scratching your head about what they were trying to accomplish, but yet uh, there we are. So 166 yards of total offense. This is where I wanted to get, though, is uh, to the defensive statistics. I had not seen these after the game. So it is Jack Campbell leading the way, 11 tackles in the game, a half a tackle for Lawson that came, of course, on the safety. Also had a quarterback hurry. Logan Lee, he played incredibly well in the middle of that defense. And Logan Lee, a guy that they've been waiting for to get healthy, started his career tight end, move early on, though, to the defensive side of the football and now healthy Logan Lee, you can see why they've been really excited about him. He finishes with six tackles, one and a half tackles for loss, one and a half sacks in the game. Justin Jacobs, he left the game. We'll get an update on that. Uh, five tackles from him. Terry Roberts, he was good. Cooper DeGene, he was making plays. We mentioned Joey Evans earlier. How about Merriweather? And one guy that at least isn't going to show up in the stat sheet as it pertains to tackles is Quinn Schulte. All right. Another in the line of these walk-on safeties right for the Hawkeyes. He looks a little bit different, though. He's got he's got a little wiggle to him. He's got some pop. I-, I liked what we saw out of Quinn Schulte, and I kind of fell into that trap, too. All right, here we go. Another kid, Iowa kid, walking on, trying to make good. We'll give him a spot of free safety. Now, there was a lot more than that. Really like what you saw from Quinn Schulte. Four pass breakups. He, he really hit hard, brought some physicality. Uh, that was good to see. Uh, how about on the only points of the day? <laughs> Lucas Van Ness comes flying in. It looked like he was going to have an easy block. That field goal kicker for South Dakota State, also their punter who had the muff early on in the game, it looked like he was going to poop his pants. And what does he do? He misses. That would have been an easy block. And it may have been a shutout for the the defense if he would have got that. Also, Riley Moss is coming off the edge. looked like he had a chance uh, to get it done. Ultimately, that was not the case. But uh, some of the numbers there for you on the Iowa win. 7-3 7-3 is the final. Two safeties, it's going to be people making fun of Iowa, right? There's going to be plenty of that. I, I get it. I, I get it. That's going to be the national narrative that's going to come out here. Uh, Patty, again, even if we had a pedestrian offense or defense, would have us in the top 10? Patty, you're exactly right. And this is, goes back to last year. As good as that team was, right? Wins the division title, wins 10 games. That's all well and good. What if they were just okay? I don't think anybody right now is asking for this team to go out, completely revamp themselves and think that they're going to suddenly turn into Alabama, right? That's, it's not realistic for what Iowa is, but can you just be okay? Not have it be such a struggle struggle against a South Dakota state team that had a 210 pound outside linebacker. Their guys in the middle are 270 and, Iowa still can't run the ball. I get it. They're selling out. Why are they selling out? And this is everybody's going to sell out against this Iowa offense. You know why? Because the quarterback can't hurt you. And so the same things are going to happen game in and game out. The game plan is going to be the same from Iowa State next week. And can Peters make a couple of plays? Look, the defense will keep them in it, you'd think. But with what we saw today, if the Iowa offense needs to get 17 points, can they do it? Probably not. Larry says, Padilla, please. I'm right there with you. And I'm not a huge Alex Padilla fan. I don't think he's great. I don't know if he's going to be, quote-unquote, better than this. But it can't be worse. And that's where we are. Just give me somebody that can move. Somebody with this bad offensive line that can get out the pocket and make a play and pick up five yards on third down and four. Give me that. doesn't think we're going to get it. Look, if we didn't get it today, we know it's over. Brian Ferentz, he is going down with Spencer Peters. He is, that's the horse that he has bet on. He's put his, all his cash, and he is going all in with Spencer Petras. He had an opportunity. They could have done something different this offseason. They didn't. And this is what we get. Taylor for Heisman. Mike, you're exactly right. Torrey Taylor was great. You know, the national media's got to have fun with it. And, and I get it, right? You, you flip on an Iowa game, and it's more of the same with, with the problems offensively. But, Tory Taylor. Hey, we've seen a lot of great punters. I remember Reggie Roby you know, in his career at Iowa before he departed and had a great career in the NFL. We've seen some good ones throughout the years. Uh, who was a guy at the turn of the century? Uh, Donahue He was really good. They, they've had a bunch of them that have come through. Have Jason Baker uh, back in the late '90s. They've had good punters come in. Tory Taylor, though, he's just at a different level. Just, just a completely different level of what he is able to do. How about that one where he waited? for everybody to go out there, get down the field, knew there wasn't going to be pressure from South Dakota State, just punted it down to the two-yard line. That was the thing of beauty. He can do it a bunch of different ways. Tory Taylor, he's the best weapon, certainly right now, for Iowan. I mean, if it was legal, I'd be happy with him just trying to punt the ball to a wide receiver as opposed to watching Petrus try to throw it to him. Uh, NC Games also, offense is incompetent. And nepotism, like I said earlier, the nepotism thing, I think – does get thrown around too much. Not not as it pertains to this conversation, just in general. But when you see something like this, and if it continues to struggle and there's no way out, whew, that's where I think people really struggle with nepotism and and having your son as the offensive coordinator. Uh, Taylor looks like an NFL punter. Absolutely, he does. Deuce Hogan, come back. Deuce, hey, he's the backup at Kentucky now, and after what Kirk said before the Nebraska game, uh, there's no coming back from that. Look, they did not like him right? I mean, he did get a chance with the problems last year. When they went to a backup, it was Padilla. Deuce never got a chance. Kirk made his comment, said in jest, but it was not a good one to say about anybody, and certainly your third-team quarterback, he's not coming back. And the young guys, you know, there was some talk about Joey Labus. Well, seeing Joey Labus in August at at Kids' Day, he's not ready. The freshman May, he's not even close to go. They didn't tap into the transfer portal. There were dozens of quarterbacks that'd be looking around. Now, here's the other part. If I would have tried to get one of those transfer quarterbacks, how many of them would have looked at the Iowa offense and say, no, I'm good. Oh, you're keeping that guy as a coordinator? No, thanks. I got other opportunities. Probably plenty of that, too. Uh, that's where we are. And now, it's hawk week. And here where I sit in Des Moines and my radio show daily on KXNO, it's going to be a huge buildup. Iowa State polishing things off. I'm going to have to go back and uh, watch that one later tonight or tomorrow. Getting ready uh, for a radio show on Tuesday. But I'll tell you, it's uh, they're moving the football up and down the field. Can Iowa score 17? Defense is going to keep it in them. Can they put 17 up? I have no hope right now. Absolutely no hope. You make the biggest leap between the first and second week. It's an old adage. Uh, we will see. couple more comments here. Labus hasn't learned the offense. Hey, Mike, you're right. I got to take a quick swig here. You know, you're, you're right, though, about Labus and, and a young guy. A spark, something, something different. I look at it the same way. I'm just, oh, boy. Patty, I'm starting to almost agree with what Husker fans say about us. We deserve what we get because we won't accept this. Yeah, it's true. Oh, boy. Well, we're going to be back with more Lockdown Hawkeyes this week. LaShawn's going to be joining me early in the week. LaShawn Daniels, a former Hawkeye running back, as he does twice weekly during football season. We'll talk with LaShawn, get his perspective. He obviously knows the ins and outs of this Iowa offense incredibly well. Why did the Iowa running game struggle at the level they did against what is at best in average? Oh, I shouldn't say average. They're a pretty good FCS defense, but not one of the elite ones. This is not North Dakota State that we saw back in 2016. They are not at that level. That's a lot of frustration there. We'll get LaShawn's perspective on that. My buddy Biz, he'll be stopping by. We'll get his thoughts on the week, and we'll get ready for Iowa State. Ultimately, Iowa's 1-0. and It was not pretty. It was frustrating. We all had a lot of that. Bad play calling. I think there's that. Bad quarterback play, absolutely bad offensive line, only two scholarship wide receivers, and really, for all intents and purposes, one, because we just saw a little bit of Brody Brack. You add it all together, and you get a 7-3 victory behind two safeties overall. That'll do it for today. Thanks for joining me with this Instant Reaction Locked On Hawkeyes podcast. Thanks also for all your guys' comments. That was a lot of fun uh, reading through those, and we will try to do this a, a whole bunch throughout the season going to be a little bit difficult next week because I'll be back in Kinnick Stadium. Don't know if we'll be able to do an interaction but hey, maybe from the tailgate spot afterwards, maybe we'll go live. We'll get things figured out here. Thanks for joining me, though, once again, on the Locked On Hawkeyes podcast. I'm Trent content Again, hit that subscribe button for me if you can. Locked On Hawkeyes on YouTube. It's a big help of what we're trying to do as we try to get – to a thousand thanks for watching hawks are one and oh not pretty but they get it done we'll talk to you again starting early next week go hawks